everyone. This is Christopher Cuddy, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Out of Health IT. Uh, I am so excited uh, that we are starting season three now using video as well, too. As you know, for those who've been listening to me, the past two seasons have all been audio podcasts. But this year, I wanted to try to do, or this season, I wanted to try to do something different. And that is to actually have both audio and video podcasting as well, too. So I definitely look forward to getting your feedback about that and whatnot. This is a, a good approach to take, or if I need to go back to having a face for radio. <laughs> so thank you so much. But, and the reason, one of the other reasons why I wanted to do this particular podcast this way is because of the guests that I have today. And the story and conversation we'll be talking about. Um, the topic of today is really the incredible journey of individuals who have been recipients of transplantations. And in particular, this individual has received a full facial planted, planted, uh, plantation. Uh, so let me just jump right into this because I want you to meet this gentleman and learn more about his story. Uh, facial transplantations is a medical procedure that has, been, that has the ability to transform people's lives. Uh, it's the incredible journey that involves transplantation of a donor's face onto a recipient's face and allowing them to regain their appearance and self-confidence. Procedure is not just about physical transformation, but about restoring a sense of identity, normalcy, and to one's life. On the, this week's episode, we're going to explore the journey of facial transplantation from one of the first successful surgeries in uh, 2005 uh, uh, to the present day. We'll examine the science of the technology behind it, uh, this life-changing procedure, and we'll hear from, again, my guest, who's been uh, uh, just an amazing uh, individual and has an amazing story today. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Robert Chelsea, the recipient of a full facial plant, uh, uh, transplant. Robert, the stamp man, Chelsea, uh, is a devout Christ Christian and a native uh, Angelino. He was raised on the south side of Los Angeles, and he's a graduate of Manuel High School and is one of four children. He enjoys track and field and meeting new people and has a daughter, Ebony, of the age 30. On August 2013, Robert's vehicle was struck by a drunk driver. The collision and the ensuing explosion left Robert severely disfigured with third-degree burns over 60% of his body and face. After years of tests and physical and psychological examinations and a longer than unusual wait for a donor, Robert underwent 16 hours of a full facial transplant at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And also at the age of 68, he became the first Black recipient and the oldest in the world to receive a full facial transplant, which is absolutely amazing. Robert's committed his life to the issue of organ donor tissue transplantation um, and telling his amazing story to the community. So again, without further ado, I want to introduce you to Mr. Robert Chelsea. Robert, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be a part of Straight Out of Health IT. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Good. You're very welcome. It's such a pleasure and such an honor to have you here today. You know, I talked a little bit about the accounts of that day that, you know, completely changed your life. But I know that 
little bit of snippet I shared just doesn't uh, do it justice. So would you please take a, you know, a few minutes to tell people who you are, your journey, what happened that tragic day, and how that's changed your life? Well, the person I am is just like anyone else. Uh, and uh, like anyone else, I've been married and have a little daughter. She's now 34 years old. And uh, I did normal things. I was self-employed before uh, my accident. The accident took place in 2013. That's uh, just about 10 years ago. And as a result of that accident, uh, I, uh, I knew others would look at it as tragic, and, and I can understand that. But that incident that happened to me was more glorious than I had experienced. Wow. Uh, that is, in my life, that I could identify with, realize that God had been uh, completely and totally in control of what would take place uh, from that point on. And it was so easy to surrender because my treatment, my care, my comfort, uh, I was able to find rest in him through this journey from right. past or from this point now. So I can tell you all about the highlights and what might be the sizzle and the uh, to others, but but really the, the the most important is that through it all, there's a wonderful golden thread, exactly providing a comfort, so that I did not suffer as one might have imagined. People sure. say to me, "Oh, Robert, you, what I hear about you, oh, you so courageous, you all and well." They might say those things, and that's how they define someone that goes through it. Mm -hmm. But really, uh, who could be so courageous? Who could sustain themselves mentally right. or physically if it weren't for the help and grace of our Heavenly Father? Absolutely. Because I explained my story, please bear in mind, I, I just I enjoyed the ride. Well. That, I mean, that's an amazing perspective to have. And I can't imagine uh, in any form or fashion, I mean, obviously you have to live through your testimonies, right? Uh, you can't have a testimony without a test. You have to live through those things to understand and gain insight on it. But I can't even imagine what the emotional and psychological toll that would have been on me personally, having to, first of all, deal with the physical challenges associated with receiving third degree burns, over you know sixty plus percent of my body, but not only that, but it also to have disfigured me um, and my face uh, to a point where, and I'm going to uh, share with our listeners uh, kind of before and after pictures as well, if you don't mind, yeah. uh, um, just to show them the incredible transformation that took place uh, in uh, your 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 features and the incredible science behind this as well too. So, you know, I can imagine simple tasks like going out in public and interacting with people and, you know, the reactions you may have gotten from individuals uh, would have a toll and an effect on you. And and through the grace of God, 
you know, I'm sure, which, you know, was the comforting component that helped get you through these things was a part of that uh, mechanism to, uh, to help you survive what I'm sure for all of us would have been, you know, almost a, a life changing, a life, you know, altering experience. And I just can't even imagine what it was like, what life was like for you after the accident. So maybe you can share with us a little bit about that as well, too, uh, in terms of how it impacted you personally, your family, your friends, your business. You know, what, what took place, you know, after, you know, you were uh, recovering from your, your injuries? Well, um, when oh, a drunk driver accident, I was on a freeway and a drunk driver, uh, I was, my car was parked on the shoulder of a freeway. Right. In the Los Angeles area. Uh, because it had, it had overheated. And I called mm-hmm. him at the time to see if he could come and maybe bring a hose or something. Right. And while talking with him, a drunk driver swerved across some of the lines and drove straight onto the uh, onto the uh, shoulder. Right. And he didn't slow down at all. When he ran into me, my car was hit. It went up in the air. Oh, wow. Turned down. And it was like a few seconds later, it just blew up. Right, right. And when it blew up, I started going to the left. And I started, it felt like I was going through a long tunnel of fire. Sure. The truck was stepped away. Right. So I went through, there was a good Samaritan standing there waiting and, and trying to help me to get out of the car. It's not right. Richard Rovers. So were you, you in the car at the time? Yes. Okay. okay. I was in the driver's seat. Right. So I just pulled over. Uh, to the shoulder waiting, you know, to figure out what I was going to do called uh, trickle in or Sure. So uh, as I was getting out the car, we, Richard said he tried to touch my head. I was in my arm, but my arm was melting. Wow. Oh, my God. Milk buckle and felt over. But we checked on the guy first and see if he was okay. And, and he, he, he was okay. He had not been hurt. Mm-hmm. Right over to a certain area. I was still conscious. And when the ambulance came, I told him who I was and who the car. I just thought I would be picked up at the, at the hospital. Sure. You know, a few hours or so once they checked me out. Right. You know, as I was so severely brand at the time. Your body had gone into shock. Would you? Were you in pain? Did you feel any of the effects of the? Yeah, I, I, I felt some pain on my knee, and my lips, and in two places. My lips were actually ground down. Oh my God! And part of my tongue too. Wow. Uh, but I, I didn't, didn't realize all of that. I, when I laid on the bed, figuring they would take me to the hospital and. And, you know, it took me out and it released me. But I didn't wake up until six months later. So I was did in a coma put, six months. They, was it a induced coma? They put you in a coma or you went into a coma? I went into a coma. No. I think probably they intermittently uh, 
kept me in that coma, but then, of course, they don't keep me in a coma six months. Sure. They tried to bring me out of it, but I didn't come out. Right. Anyway, so I spent in the hospital a year and a half. First six months was in a coma. Right. And then when you awoke from the coma, what was told to you? I mean, what did the doctors say? What did your family say? Well, everyone rejoiced. Uh, you know, all the nurses there calling me by my nickname, Bobby. Right. right. Bob, Bobby. And uh, they all knew, you know, who I was because I didn't know who they were. Mm-hmm. And they took about three days or so for them to convince me that I had been in a coma. Mm-hmm. Because all that time in the coma, I, I had uh, a friend. I can't tell you what his name was. I can't tell you what it looked like. But I can say he was my best friend. I relied on him to keep me informed on everything around me. Was, Is that right? Oh, she's doing fine. He would just, in his own pleasant way, assure me that Everything was coming along okay, and then you'd say so on and so on. Right. This experience that I had when I woke up, I didn't realize I woke up. It was just that so many other people started coming around. Sure. I covered. That's why I didn't know who they were. Right. They finally convinced that I had been in a coma all that time. Is that right? So this this person that are uh, this entity that was there over watching you and informing you, you felt like that was actually a, a, almost a real experience. I mean, you you didn't feel like you were dreaming or or you were in. Well, our reality, we got quite an imagination. Yes, we do. Uh, look at what God has created. Look at His imagination. Exactly. Uh, we, 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 we got pretty, and so that was my reality. Unfortunately, uh, Christopher, that is a, that is a degree of the same reality of today. Sure. I obviously know that I'm not in a coma now, but that joy that he provided then, the comfort he allowed me to have, and the peace that uh, has sustained me continues to sustain me. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's, uh, I mean, what an amazing story. Um, and I know personally, and I will maybe for another show, we'll get back together. I'll share some of my own personal journeys about the passing of my parents and them coming back to me and having almost a similar experience as well and having conversations with them that seemed really surreal and almost like, just like you and I having a conversation to reassure me that they were also in a better place. Uh, they were doing fine uh, and that, you know, they were good. Um, so I can imagine there are different, these different psychological and physical planes that we operate on. Uh, and, and for those of us who are believers, that, you know, God has angels watching over us as well, too. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, you mentioned, you know, you, you didn't even realize you were in the coma, but once you finally came out and reality hit, um, you know, and how, how did this affect you physically? Obviously, I mean, you had these severe 
burns to the majority of your body, in the facial, you know, disfiguration. Um, were you able to perform the same types of, you know, functions you were able to, you know, previous to the injuries? Um, were there challenges? Or are you still experiencing challenges? Actually, right before we came on and recorded this, you have your caretaker there, uh, there that was providing um, you an infusion as well, too. So I want to talk a little bit about that here in just a second as well. But maybe share a little bit about, um, you know, the things you you were challenged with, because I can't imagine that there weren't some. Well, the, the, we, we, it's natural for us to call it a challenge. Right. All about the, the things that I was introduced to. Oh, I like that. Oh, wow. That's a way, that's a different paradigm. Yeah, please share. Yeah, because, uh, see, to, to the natural mind, oh my God, oh, this is, too much. I could have never. This is just what we have done in a fire planet that uh, said, right, we said, maybe we could say that about them. Sure. But yes, we could. They have a different perspective. Uh, right. We were enjoying. Exactly. And, well, how could that be? I mean, is it really real? Are you telling the truth? Um, well, <laughs> another one of those realities. Sure. Uh, but you had to be there to see it for yourself. Right. And then I also would like just for everyone to consider when you go through what might be looked upon as a, uh, a valley experience, mountain dark experience, valley. Right. right. There, God does have a way of providing Lulu's in their gallery. Yeah, explain. You, once you have had this introduction, it allows me to see a dimension that I had not seen before. Sure. And, and even my imagination couldn't, make, couldn't bring me to that point. Right. But, uh, see. I walk the guys and sound the death. I fear no evil. Well, I can imagine what I did really, but he was talking about a comfort that he had. Right. Like a child in daddy's arms. Sure. Peter didn't even, there was no imagination, no, nothing that crossed his mind to be afraid. Not because he was so brilliant, right? Courageous, but because he was in Daddy's arm, right? Uh, and so, uh, uh, I, I shall not want for anything, for thou art with me. Exactly, exactly. Now, that wasn't just a nice poetic words that they were was actually talking about God. Had been with him. Right, walking with him through that whole journey. Yes. And, and having that comfort and knowledge in, that he was there. Yeah. Protecting so that, that It's complete talking about the reality. Right. That was not nobody's imagination. He didn't pull no shit. God was with him. Yeah, he, li he lived it. Yeah, he lived it. Yeah. Exactly. Even though 
I used to read it and believe it and trust it and have faith in it and so on. Now I know it. Sure, absolutely. Moses says, rather watching, he said, Father, all men can see your works for your, for your, you know, you, 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 you build a water out of a rock. Right. Build them from on high, from battle on high. Exactly. There's no question about your works. They say, but I want to know your ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, and so when you get this kind of opportunity or exposure or introduction to a little more of his ways, mm-hmm. brother, this, you know, that's a piece that, you, that I have yet to have experienced. Right. And that most of us, quite honestly, yeah, and most of us, quite honestly, don't get that opportunity to your point you know we all still function in our kind of limited reality uh, um, and don't believe in many cases there are other forces at work uh, that have a greater understanding of the universe and the divine you know divineness of it as well too and there are those rare few like you who have been taking to that and have faced what we would perceive as very challenging and tragic, you know, situations, but was really a transformation for you uh, and, a, and an awareness that there's something greater at hand. So that's, that's, uh, that's such a beautiful uh, and inspiring way to look at life. And as we go through our journeys and, and struggles in life, you know, I think it's important for us to look at people like you who can tell that story, who have experienced that and understand the true realities of that, how you've been able to transform that into something that's, that is empowering uh, to you uh, and can now help us, you know, also look at life a little bit differently as well. Unfortunately, I, I was not able to transform it. Mm-hmm. This is something that he does. Right. What, what, what tools, what instruments, what know-how, what... Uh, uh, you're an IT person. What is it that you can do mm-hmm. to transform yourself? Exactly. Exactly. I can't help but be grateful that I happened to be one that did get in the accident. Right. I, uh, I took Brother up, running a nuts off, and all the, you know, I, I got amputations. Uh, Right. And then, of course, professor face, face uh, transplant. But it has been a experience that I, I could not look back and say, well, well I learned to have my last 60 years. Well, the last 60 years hasn't done even more for me. Sure. That's what I have been through. But these last 10 years, have given me a greater insight than I had ever had. Oh. Right. Wow. That's that's a that's an amazing statement, uh, profound statement to say the least. If you wouldn't mind, I'd, I'd love to pivot just a little bit and talk a little bit about, and I'm sure our audience is uh, is, li- is interested in understanding about this procedure. You know, can you just kind of share with us what is that procedure like? You know, what are the what is the process that an individual goes through? to receive a transplantation of your type. Yeah. I I divide the accident. Let me just throw this in because uh there are 
so many of us interested in transplant, but let's consider we're here to help our disabled diet. Yes, that's a good point. And there are amputees, thinking of attention. Right. See, uh, the brain survivors. Mm-hmm. It, you don't see my virus because I have a thing uh, covering it now. But right. you know, first of all, God, you see all kinds of scars and, and uh, you know, different things because uh, that is how we got to the face transplant. Exactly. All the people that came before that, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's very important because all the challenges and discoveries and what to do next and psychological uh, adjustments, that all took place through the, all these other surgeries. Sure. Had a way over 30 surgeries before coming out the coma. Exactly. Both are life threatening, and not only that, but can you imagine what the families have gone through? The stress, the worry, the sure. doubt. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing at, at, you know, how they were feeling day in day out, day, day, not knowing every time they get a call, it's this might be the last time. I was called it blue three or four times. Blue. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. So the transplant is one thing. Right. What we go through to, to find ourselves getting more uh, empathetic towards our fellow man, we need to, that's why I'm so glad I went through this. Sure. Sure. So I, so I can uh, make this emphasis on right. the importance of being good. Right. Being concerned about the whole man and not just the highlight, you know, the finished product. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think again, that's a, a very good perspective, and, and thank you for kind of re reminding us that there are others out there who are challenged with other, you know, physical uh, opportunities, right? Um, whether it's you know amputees or other folks who are dealing with challenges that might require transplantation as a way of helping to move them forward in some form or fashion. We need to be open and considering that um, uh, as well, too. I do want to press you, though, a little bit on, just for those who are, who are a little bit techie in mind, uh, about the journey that, that it took to, to, to go through this from a surgical standpoint. You know, I, I think I mentioned, I, I thought it was 14, 17 hours. It was several hours of surgery. But what did they do to prepare you for the surgery? What was taking what what took place as a part of the surgery, and right. then what had to happen post surgery to ensure that there wasn't rejection of the tissue and things of that nature. And then what do you do today to continue to maintain uh, the ability for it to co- the, the the transplantation to continue to function properly as well? Too, I'm not using the right word for it. What I mean. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I think. It- Starting to recover from the virus, yeah. it took three and a half, four years after being discharged. Right. And during that time, I, I interacted with a lot of um, plastic surgeons, dermatologists, and, and uh, many other uh, specialties because my internal organ, organs had to be de- dealt with. That's why I was in the hospital so long. Right. I don't know if they never work that they're supposed, but 
to a normal standard. You're right. I had to stay in the hospital to have all that uh, done. And uh, so during that process, the, the uh, last plastic surgeon that I worked with, he had a friend who had studied under Dr. Bolden Panahov. Bolden Panahov is the premier surgical physician for French transplants in the whole world. Right. He has actually done 10 French transplants. No one, no physician has done more than two. Right. So how does a black man find himself uh, not only in a single sense that eventually qualified for French transplant, but have the premier French transplant surgeon in the whole world? Exactly. Uh, and through this, we, you know, we, we went through some evaluations. I went, but this all took place in Boston at Harvard Medical Center's Hospital, which is called Brigham Women's Hospital, right. now known as General Mads. And uh, at that time, the cutoff for evaluating the best transplant was 50 years old. Mm-hmm. So I was already 64. Wow. Or 63 or something like that at the time. So, uh, they, I, but, you know, I never drank, uh, smoked, and all that stuff either. So I'm sure that helped. And uh, so I, I uh, went back and forth with them several years. As a result of being qualified, they also sent me through a lot of psychological tests and, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of evaluations. But this was the first. That, that they have seen, like first operated on in terms of first transplant. Sure. And so they're not that familiar with what you are supposed to look like, how you, what the, the challenges might be, and so on. To the extent where, uh, as, a, as a person of color, there are, well, with Harvard data, but put together two different chains of African Americans. Mm-hmm. So that we could figure out well what shade would I be in. Right. With a white person, there's only what they call two shades. Mm-hmm. Uh and and so everything that they had to do, not everything, but most of what they had to do was try to without any foreknowledge, try to figure out how they were going to not only do the surgery, but uh, what would the outcome be in terms of facial complexion? Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my hemoglobin could be different than theirs. As an example, sickle cell. Certain, uh, certain stem cells can eliminate sickle cell. Right. It's not as hard they're not going to question a white person. Sure. mainly from a person of color. Exactly. So all of these kind of factors, and many more, I'm sure, mm-hmm. uh, uh, was evaluated. Just as a side note, the U.S. military has over 300 uh, facial transplant candidates. Wow. And the Department of Defense, uh, they're the ones that granted 
Brigham Women's Hospital a contract to do pre-run French class before they set their 300 to get their son surgery done. Exactly. So we've got wounded warriors who are also waiting for uh, meditations to take place as well. That's right. That's right. That's amazing. Now, also keep in mind that I happen to be the first full French transplant. Right. There had been other people, one other person actually, that had in Parsons, and many others have had Parsons. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, could, I, I don't know, believe it or not, this doesn't, I guess another side note, we're going to put side note on side note. <laughs> no worries. Uh, a lot of the patients have attempted suicide. Right, I can so, imagine. Yeah, yeah. They just, they want to run out their jaw. Right. Or, but, so, those residents considered full or as far as it, depending on the damage that was done. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of how, you know, and then they survived. So now they, they're so mangled up that they have to be covered up some kind of way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're, you know, I've got to have you back on this, this show as well, too, because there's so much more I want to talk to you about about this journey so this is going to be you know episode one of another multi-episode of this conversation with you so but i do want to make sure uh as we start to wrap up this particular episode uh you talk about you know how you're advocating for transplantations for organ donors um what you're doing in that space uh, so that our audience is aware of that and can find ways to support this in your journey as well. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to try to, because uh, I know I know I didn't answer your question on procedure, so we may have to do it another no, time. No, no, we'll do that on another show. I'm having you back, so rest assured. We'll we'll cover all okay. of that another time. Uh, yeah, because the details are important and I'm sure they want to know. Absolutely. I'm not advocating to have been stemmed from uh, or at least known by my face transplant, mm-hmm. but it from Bill Brown. Right. Applications. And then, of course, moving into transplantation, real replacement, and so right. on. Exactly. All of these things are available, which means job opportunities for so many students. So look into other fields now that are growing in, in these areas. Exactly. You know, I would have never have thought about that, but you're right. That's a whole emerging oh, yeah. field. Exactly. So what I do in terms of advocacy, uh, there's several different components. One of those components is when I go to the schools, I'm not just the colleges, but high schools and, and middle schools, I like to show and tell. That's what I call it, show and tell. Because sure. I want them to see my legs and my arms. But right. see, just what, uh, uh, because the kids don't know what's underneath their peers' clothing. Exactly. They could have been electrocuted. They could have been in a fire. Right. Hung by a barbecue. Sure. Uh, uh, they need a great defect. You don't know what's beneath another child's uh, clothing. Mm-hmm. And so the more we can talk to them and show them what I go through, then they may not tease that child for not being able to walk or talk right. and run the same way. So that's what we do in terms of 
the high school, the, 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 the middle and high school students. Yeah. Uh, and then the Africa St. Anthony, any time, well, one eye pronounced it, uh, saying eight other eyes. And I, because I'm black, people will uh, expect me to advocate for black uh, uh, donors. And obviously, I do, I have that concern, but one kidney can come from anywhere. Yeah, right. Somebody. We need to know that. It doesn't have to be your color kidney. That's right. And long, liver, heart. So it's important since a bone marrow. For these kind of things, we want to make sure that that the public, not just the U.S., but the public at large, everybody, every country, every corner of this world has individuals that are dissident or have diseases, et cetera. And the more we make sure that, that we care, well, I think we not just the Robert Chelsea found sure. it, but that, that humanity cares about one another, the more we can stimulate and, and encourage other scientists from other parts of this world to start looking into how the, and the governments to support more research and other than research rocks and sun and right. How much more for humanity? So a human being, absolutely. So, so there's a Robert Chelsea Foundation, right? And so that foundation is focused on advocating for transplantations, organ donors, uh, uh, awareness, understanding uh, of folks who are faced with these. uh, uh, I hate to use the word challenges. You used a better word than I did, uh, but faced with this situation in their lives. Uh, So how would someone reach you if they wanted to find out more about the foundation, donate, get involved? Our website is robertchelsea.org. Pretty easy. Robertchelsea.org. C-H-E-L-S-T-A. You can Google my name. You can Google Face Fast Plus. Right. And you'll get all kind of information. Because I'm the first, that's the really short all over the place. Absolutely. So I'm New England, uh, uh, General Medicine, and we can PDR and all those different places. Uh, so, yeah, I would be nice to support, but give me a call. Let me know. If you want, I'll be glad to comment, but no matter where they are, and, and at least hopefully I can inspire some others to inspire others Absolutely. to care about one another. That, that's, that's really my objective, is to do what we can to help one another out. Well, that's great. Well, I, I can't believe that, you know, we're nearing the end of this interview. And again, I've got so much more I want to talk to you about. So. Uh, Robert, you just put a pin in it. Know that you'll get another invitation here in the not too distant future to come back, and we can want to continue this story. I'd love to have your, you know, your healthcare professionals as well a part of this conversation as well. I know you got a gentleman there today um, helping you with some um, some care as well too, just to talk to them about the experience. It would be great to have maybe one of your your physicians or one of the other professionals that was a part of that journey with you also talk about this from their perspective as well, too. So you and I will work on that. Okay. We're all glad to do it. Wonderful. We're all of them are glad to do it because this is still new for them. Yes. So it's very important that, you know, 
So what, 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 under 47, face satisfied with, under the first block. So okay. Every thing have learned, all that they have generalized, sure. all that they advised, research has not been with people of color. Absolutely. So there's still a lot of opportunity, a lot of ways to go to address those challenges as well. So before we close, can you share kind of one thing you want our listeners to take away from this conversation or one piece of advice or just one nugget uh, that you think uh, uh, you think is relevant uh, that you yeah. be imparted with as we lead this conversation today? Yeah. I, I, uh, it, it would not, it would not be specific, but it exists. Um, kindness. Kindness pays dividends that no man can measure. Right. Yeah, you're right. Kindness, it's a plan to a sweet heart. Right. You can have one without the other. And with that in mind, um, they will find it, they meaning anyone that, that uh, will strap kindness on, buy it and strap it on, they'll find it to be a greater benefit than any. You can't pick and choose who you're going to help. Right. How are you going to know who you are going to help? Exactly. You may not have the right tools, sure. but you know, I think there's, uh, there's a scripture that says, good all men with a holy kiss. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, what's the golden rule, do unto others that you have for them to do unto you. Do it better. You get to do, do better than what you could get. We rate ourselves differently. Sure. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you said, love, kindness. I mean, those are two powerful Powerful, you know, things that can change the world. No round can Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Robert. It's been indeed an honor and a pleasure to have this conversation with you. I'll be, you know, following up and planning our next conversation as well, too. Uh, thank you to everyone who took time out their busy schedule to listen in and hear Robert's story and Robert's uh, just, you know, ministry as well, too, in this space. Uh, he's an amazing human being. I'm so honored and blessed to have had this opportunity to share his story and look forward to continuing uh, further conversations with him in the future. Uh, well, that's it uh, for this episode, uh, our first video episode of Straight Out of Health IT. As always, you know, please take the time to share this with others you think would benefit from uh, this discussion. Let's make this particular episode go viral. Um, and as always, I appreciate your, your love and support. But until next time, take care and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Straight Outta Health IT. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For more unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers, be sure to tune in next week. For the show notes, transcripts, and resources, please visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. We invite you to give us feedback by reaching out to Christopher Cunney on LinkedIn, just searching for Straight Outta Health IT, and you'll find us. We are constantly having live discussions about diverse topics in the industry. 